All right. Um, again, if you've got a, a smartphone Bible with you, you're welcome to open that to chapter 8. If not, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can pull that out and uh, follow along with us. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. All right, here's the main idea in case this is the only part uh, you hear of me speaking this morning and then you kind of check out and you're working on your grocery list or something else. Um, here's the main idea. Followers of Jesus are meant to follow him into radically self-sacrificial lives as we experience his great love and self-sacrifice for us. We are to be deeply motivated to love others and be self-sacrificing for our fellow believers as well as those who do not know him in the hope that they will come to know him. Many people who call themselves Christians really want a heaven without God. That perhaps it's a very exclusive restaurant, heaven, uh, or a club or something. They're trying to get access and they see Jesus as the bouncer at the front door. They, so long as they have a relationship with you know, him, if, so long as they can get permission to be given heaven, once they're able to walk into the doors of heaven, they are not expecting to see him inside. They think, I'm going to get to heaven where all of the things are that I love and appreciate, you know, and I'll be able to fly and other kind of neat things that we like about the idea of heaven. We see Jesus as maybe only the Savior from, I know I can't really get into heaven without him. But the reality is, Jesus is the heaven we get to experience. It is God eternal that we are welcomed into a relationship with him. And uh, he's at the very center point. He's not simply the bouncer at the front door. And uh, Christians are not just people who, you know, are on the list to make it into heaven, but they are the people who, for them, their idea of heaven is Jesus. Knowing him, uh, keeping him exalted, lifting up and worshiping him for all of eternity because of his character, his attributes, who he is, what he's done. All of those things are at the center of what heaven really is. And many people, again, they kind of just want a heaven without God. They want um, no pain, in the afterlife, they want to just kind of go into this wonderful bliss. And if Jesus is just the door to that, then, then fine, then he's my savior. But he's more central to Christianity than that. That's a different version of Christianity. Um, now, you may not be a follower of Jesus. You might be here with a friend or a family member um, as a guest. Uh, or you might be just curious about Christianity. But you aren't a follower of Jesus. I just want to say that I'm glad that you're here, and I hope that as we go forward this morning, you'll have a picture of who Jesus is, what Christianity is all about. Now, in Corinth, one of the issues that came up that Paul was responding to, we saw it in, the, in this video, was about food, meat sacrificed um, to idols, and we're going to dive into chapter 8 here. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read uh, quite a lot of this um, scripture, and then I'll make some comments about it. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something 
do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came uh, and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. (coughs) Pardon me. Okay, some phrases that stand out for me. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And not everyone possesses this knowledge. Knowledge is rarely the only necessary prescription. And often it's the only prescription given to an issue. It can be more destructive than helpful. If it's just knowledge that is given, it is really just a demonstration of knowledge, which is a demonstration of pride. My wife and I have a plan to eat healthy and to exercise, and generally we do. I'm also guilty of sharing my expert opinion on health when it's not necessary. I, I do that preaching all the time, right? Every time I'm up in January or something, I say, so, New Year's resolutions, eh? How are you guys going to be eating healthy and exercising? Right? How many of you know you're supposed to eat healthy and exercise, but still don't? Right? Yeah. But you're also willing, <laughs> it's funny, I know what I should do, and then I tell other people they should do that, but I also don't do that myself. Um, I find myself telling people, yeah, I've been doing some CrossFit lately. I've been trying some power cleans, and maybe if you did, did some power cleans, you wouldn't be such a weaker brother. <laughs> I, weak brothers or sisters don't need knowledge. They need strengthening. And it is love that can do that. As you love, you strengthen. And as you strengthen and love, you also can impart knowledge. Because knowledge is necessary. Whoever loves God is known by God. Paul highlights the most important knowledge is knowing God, loving God, and being known by God. This should be central to our identity and understanding. And the means by which we approach others 
on potentially divisive issues. Loving God means our hearts are shaped by what he loves and he so loved the world and everyone in it. Again, this is the heaven where God is central, not the heaven without God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Paul just comes out and says that the issue is not the issue. Meat sacrificed to idols can be perfectly fine and it can be a sin against Christ. There have been many issues that have come up um, after this in church history. Uh, Certain hot topics that have always caused division, discord, or discomfort. So I thought we could maybe solve some of those today with a majority vote. Now, I've never been in a church service that ended in a riot, but Steve is on uh, holidays this weekend, so I thought we could try a fun game. <coughs> so what's going to happen is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out some hot topics And what I want you to do, as I call it these hot topics, is if you think it's a sin, stand up. If you don't think it's a sin, you stay seated, okay? Are you ready? No, I'm not going to do that. Some of you were very eager to finally have it nailed down, weren't you? Some of you were just about just getting your things, and I'll ask, I have to, I'm going to head to Superstore. I need to pick up some rice and some soup. Um, Thank you for staying. Um... But there are things, a long list of things, that could potentially be divisive. Now, in their culture, it was meat. For us, I'm not even going to make the list. Because some some of you want to. (laughs) I'm not even going to make the list this morning. Even in a wonderful church like this, there are issues that the enemy will try to divide us over. How are we going to overcome the enemy's plans? Something like meat can tear apart a church. What do we do? We overcome by having the same attitude as Jesus. We need to lay down our rights. Lay down our opinions. It doesn't mean that we don't have conversations about tough issues. However, we are supposed to be careful. Again, be careful, however, that this exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Now again, meat, again, Paul clears up. This is not an issue, it's not really actually a sin, but you can sin against people by participating with certain things. Can I say this? Modern seeing is probably not in the temple. Modern seeing is probably online. It's on your social sites. Not all of it. A lot is. How many of you like to post, I'm not even going to say the things, Um, you have opinions that you share, 
you get into comments and you try to disarm people and you're having a, a battle of wits and information, it can happen pretty easily. Um, modern seeing is perhaps online. Did you know that you don't have to post? Right, like in the terms and conditions and signing up for Facebook or for Pinterest or something like that, there's not like an automatic, like, and if you don't post, we're coming for you. You can not share your opinion. Even if you have one, you cannot share it. Because of love. When dealing with an issue, it's always important to deal with the real issue. In love, go deeper into your own worldview and your heart's motivations and into the heart and mind of your brother or sister in Christ, holding their life and faith above your rights. Why? Because Christ died for them. And exercising your rights might destroy their faith. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Do you have that kind of conviction like Paul who says for the sake of his brother or sister, I will never eat meat again? What are you willing to give up? When I was in high school and just starting to learn how to play guitar, I was fascinated by it and I was talking about it with one of my teachers and he told me a story about his father who was a Christian and attended a, a church here in town, uh, I believe, and uh, he got a guitar, always wanted to play the guitar, got a guitar, started learning the guitar and playing as an adult and he found out that there was a handful of people in his community of faith, his church, that were very uncomfortable with the idea of that as the instrument that he chose. They thought it represented all the kinds of things. And so as he was hearing this, he sold the guitar, just like that. Always wanted to play the guitar, finally had the opportunity to do so, and uh, up and sold his guitar, never played again. That's meaningful to me, hearing that story now, thinking of how many hours in my life that I have played guitar, how I've used that in ministry settings, playing music, leading in worship, how it's been good for my own soul, right? my own therapy to sit down and play and to practice, that I've learned discipline and other kinds of things. And to think, just like that, that quick, he would say, for the sake of my brothers and sisters, I won't play the guitar. I'll let it go. Do you have that kind of conviction? Paul uses his own life as an example. As we go further forward into chapter 9, he talks about his rights as an apostle. Okay, quickly, just say yes for homework. I will read chapters 8, 9, and 10. Okay? N none of you did that. <laughs> Shows you how committed you really are. No, I'm sorry. I don't like being publicly pressured either. And everyone says, join with me, stand, you know, say this, do this. I rarely do. Turn to your neighbor and say, I almost never do. So I, I get it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verse 19 to 23, again, Paul talking about his use of his freedom and his rights as an apostle and how he's applied some of those principles. This is verse 19 of chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Why? So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Why? So that by all means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. If you are a follower of Christ, is this your, is your heart positioned this way? Why do you do what you do? Is it for the sake of the gospel? Or, or is it because you have a burning opinion about something? Paul continues in chapter 9 to encourage and he motivates us to take this heart's position. This is verse 24 of chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I remember being a small uh, child in a race, you know, track and field day at school, and my dad was there and he gave me some coaching. He said, you're going to win this race because everyone else in all of these different lanes, when they take off, are going to be looking back and forth at one another to see who's first, who's racing, who's going, am I beating this guy or that guy? You are going to put your eyes all the way down to the very end of your lane and you're going to run as hard as you possibly can until you get there. And I didn't know much about running at that point and I think largely that's the main principle of a sprint, right? You don't pay attention to the other dynamics in play. It doesn't matter what the other guy is doing beside you. I mean, he could be wearing a gestures costume, playing a tuba or something, who knows? But you don't need to worry about that. You have an aim that you're going after. And I appreciate this imagery that he uses about athleticism and the focus required and the winning that he has in mind. The winning he has in mind is souls for the sake of the gospel. Nothing else. Giving up our rights in this life has eternal significance. What rights will you lay down As he continues talking about this, he uses some examples from Israel's history because there would have been many in that group that understood those dynamics and play. Again, for homework, you can read that part. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. Many of you may not want this kind of Christianity. But this is the nature of the kingdom. Some of you do want heaven without God, without Jesus at the center. This is the nature of the kingdom, though. In Matthew 13, 44, we read this. Jesus explaining the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. When uh, Naomi and I, my wife, when we fell in love, we were living 3,000 kilometers apart. I was living in uh, Newmarket, Ontario, just north of Toronto. She was in Saskatoon. Um, We had this huge gap and a lot of things in life that we needed to sort out if there was going to be a future for us. And there was a lot of things that I was um, tethered to that I thought were important up until the moment we fell in love. I was enjoying um, my job. I was working at a church. I was doing youth ministry and leading worship for this church. It was a great church. I was happy to be there and among those people. I had lots of friends in the area that I was well connected to. Um, We were traveling around leading worship and we were recording and doing lots of things that I loved. And I got to just enjoy the city of Toronto and all that it has to offer, you know, all kinds of cultural things that uh, I was enjoying. But the moment I fell in love with Naomi, everything but her became negotiable. Not my faith, that's important to both of us. But what car I drove, what city I lived in, the kind of work that I did, all of that I was willing to let go. Because I loved her. I wanted to have a future with her. All of those things became disconnected. All of those tethers that I had became disconnected because of that one thing. Um, I have a friend uh, from here in Saskatchewan who's engaged to somebody in Nairobi. That's an even bigger distance. And there's many more things that they have to work out in order to close that gap. Their future together means that they have to let go of a lot of things, but they have this focus, they have this aim, and at the center of it is love. Now, Jesus came to us and spoke nothing of his rights, only his mission to seek and save the lost. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any... um, Uh, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Followers of Jesus are meant to follow him into radically self-sacrificial lives. As we experience his great love and self-sacrifice for us, we are to be deeply motivated to love others and be self-sacrificing for our fellow believers as well as those who do not know him in the hope that they will come to know him. Now perhaps you're here today and you have never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps the whole Christian message has been perplexing to you. Um, but perhaps as I've been speaking, as you, as you have been seeking him, perhaps a light has gone on in your heart or mind. You may have a lot of questions but maybe you're ready to make that commitment today. I would love to pray with you after the service. Jesus laid his life down because my debt and your debt to sin was more than we could pay. So he gave up everything he was entitled to at the chance of having a relationship with each one of us. Now, Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've been more concerned with your own rights. You've been trying to make this part of earth, this part of your life, heaven, and not the next. Uh, if you need to make that change, changing your heart position towards being self-sacrificing and embracing the abundant life that he offers in that, it's not easy. On your own, in fact, I think you're largely powerless to do so. Again, this is much like health advice saying, just do it. Now that you know you're supposed to eat healthy and exercise, do that. How many of you have tried that and failed? How many of you have had many other things that you thought, you know what, I'd like to do this, and you've tried and you've failed, and you're thinking that here's one more thing that I'm, I'm, I think I should try, but I'm going to fail. Can I encourage you here? What, God, uh, what Peter, uh, Paul does throughout all of 1 Corinthians is he highlights Jesus. He highlights the gospel. He brings them back from meat sacrifice to um, idols, idols, from sexual integrity, the resurrection, all of those things he ties back to Jesus at the center. He explains who he is. Um, are you remembering to preach the gospel to yourself? To know that 
your sin, your life, you are in a far worse position than you imagined. And yet because of the cross, Jesus shows up and he says, I will pay for all of that sin because I love you this much. There is something at the cross that um, handles our heart's motivations as we see him giving up his life, as we see um, Jesus and his gospel, our lives can be transformed because we get to see him, know him, and because of it, our lives can be transformed. Now, uh, as we come to the end of our service, um, I'd like to give, again, a moment for you to reflect. Maybe you need, you can close your eyes if you want to, you can reflect, whatever would help you, maybe you need to get your notepad out or make some notes in your phone, schedule a calendar appointment. I'm not sure how you need to respond this morning. Is there something, a right, that you're hanging on to that you need to let go of? Do you need to stop posting? <laughs> Do you need your heart to be warmed in the message of the gospel? Maybe you need to pray with somebody here this morning. Maybe you need to take some time in reflection and prayer, further time in reflection and prayer. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus, and maybe you need to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we close, and then we're going to, I'll dismiss you, and if you'd like to stay here and pray, you're welcome to do that. We will have prayer teams available to pray with you. I'll be here to pray with you as well. Let me pray for us. kind of sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for us is overwhelming. The idea of us having to make sacrifice in our own lives is very challenging. Father, help us as we know you and we walk with you to lean further and further into this heart's position where we give up of our lives for the sake of others knowing that there is a great inheritance in being one day in heaven with all of those people that we were able to give up something, sacrifice something, go the extra mile for that one person, for their soul, so that they can share in that great eternal inheritance in knowing you. Father, I pray that you would help each person to know what their next step of obedience is, uh, help them to make it practical in terms of their plan of what they're going to do today, tomorrow, this week, to be able to lean towards this heart's position. Jesus, you came to promise also abundant life, and we know that there is great reward even in this kind of sacrifice. The scripture says, for the joy that Jesus was seeing, he endured the cross. And no matter what sacrifices are in front of us, we can be filled with 
that wonderful joy of knowing that our lives will count and make a difference in the lives of other people. Father, I pray that you speak to each heart and give us courage to be obedient to your word, to your challenge. And uh, give us a great week. In your name we pray. Amen.